home birth experience. We are so excited to be here with you today. And we just want to thank you for listening and supporting the podcast. We are having so much fun putting it together. I'm here today with my co-host, Christina. How are you, Christina? Hi, everybody. Hi, Julia. Good. So Christina and I just had a birth uh, almost a week ago, and it was absolutely amazing. It was, oh gosh, brought us all to tears. It was so good. Yeah. So today we're going to talk to a client of mine who I served when I lived in Cincinnati. She had two babies with me, and we're going to hear her story today, and we're going to hear some interesting stuff that maybe you won't hear otherwise, other places, and um, should be interesting. So with us today, we have Karen. How are you, Karen? Hi, Julia. I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you could be here. Thanks. So let's just jump right in. Um, you had a home birth for both your children. You only have two children. And a lot of moms for their first baby, they just don't even know their options and maybe scared to have a home birth. So can you tell us what led you to home birth for your first baby? I had the benefit of my sister's experience. My oldest sister has four children, and she's been through the whole gamut of um a heavily hospitalized birth where she had it scheduled and they gave her prednisone and she was in the hospital for a really long time. And she had a lot of regrets from that birth. So uh, every consecutive birth after that was less and less hospitalized. Um, her final two births were at home and she loved them. And my babies didn't come until after all of that. So when I was pregnant, I knew, I knew at least that it was an option. And a lot of my friends would think I was crazy, but I just didn't ask them what they thought. And I asked my sister instead. Um, if it hadn't been for Anne, I probably would have just done a hospital birth with an epidural in the whole nine yards, like most of the people I know do. Wow, that's interesting that she had such a heavy influence on you. That's really cool. She definitely has a strong influence on me, not only in the way I birth, but also in the way I mother. I I just get a lot of advice from her. Yeah, I love Anne. I got to meet Anne at Karen's birth, and she lives in Colorado and invited me to come out and stay with her and go to the midwifery conference in Colorado. I think it was maybe six months or a year after Karen had her baby. And she is a woman full of wisdom. So I'm really grateful that you had her to guide you on this, you know, beautiful journey. Yeah. I was really grateful that I had you. You saved me a lot of agony. <laughs> Be there with me. Yeah. So let's talk about your prenatal care. Um, I wanted to highlight some diet changes that you made. Um, as a result of seeing your blood pressure rise in the third trimester and protein in your urine. Um, can you share with the audience a little bit about that? That was, especially with the first time around, that was a really difficult turning point for me because I've always seen myself as a really healthy person. And suddenly the dialogue between me and Julia switched from you're doing great. Just keep doing what you're doing to stop what you're doing. You have to, you have to stop and change things. And I wasn't 
uh, I kind of had an identity crisis where I had to recognize that there was something about me that wasn't healthy and I had to address it. Um, uh, the biggest issue was just that I was eating too many carbs and I didn't quite understand what the connection was between high blood pressure and a high carb diet, but I didn't get, I, it wasn't the right time to get an education on that. It was just the right time to try out space. And you told me to stop eating so many bowls of ice cream. And I cried my face off over the phone. I was like, I'm okay. It's, it's going to be okay. But it was really hard for me. That was the one vice that I had at the time. So I was, I was eating a lot of ice cream and it was bad for me, but it was probably also bad for the baby. It wasn't until you said that I would be risked out of my home birth if it kept going in this trajectory. And that's when I, that's when I went to a, a really egg heavy diet. I started eating two eggs a day minimum. And I just stopped eating bready things and it immediately my blood pressure went down. So even though I didn't understand what that connection was, I saw the results and I stuck with it. And the same thing happened with my second pregnancy. As soon as the third trimester came, my blood pressure went through the roof and I had to stop eating bready things, stop eating sugar and no rice. It was a lot of vegetables and a lot of eggs a lot of vegetables and a lot of eggs. Yeah. Uh, and then I had two healthy babies at the end. So it's worth it to stop eating ice cream if you get to have two healthy babies. Yeah, I remember the conversation. I felt so bad, but I, I had to kind of just say, you have to stop eating ice cream. <laughs> and I made you cry, which was awful, but, but literally saw the results of that diet change within a week. Your blood pressure went right back down. You had no more protein in your urine. It was incredible. And I really want the listeners to be encouraged that if they are experiencing signs of preeclampsia, that you can more than likely turn that around with simple diet changes of increasing your carb. Nope, not increasing your carbs. Delete. <laughs> Um, decreasing carbs, increasing protein to 80 to 100 grams of protein a day. And like Karen said, Christina also ate a ton of eggs during her pregnancy. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it's a, an awesome point to, to have you as proof of how that changed things around. I spent a lot of time after that thinking, if I had been seeing a doctor, doctors don't trust their patients to take their advice. And they would have, I would have probably been prescribed something to decrease my blood pressure. So instead of just changing my diet and living more healthily, I would have just been having some kind of band-aid over the situation. Or it would have been preeclamptic. I don't think that a doctor would have trusted me to just change my diet and fix the problem on my own. Unfortunately, you're probably right. And you probably would have been induced and who knows how that would have ended. Yeah. But you weren't induced. You went into labor naturally. So could you share with us your birth story? 
the first one, I feel like it was really regular. I don't think either of my my pregnancies or births were anything out of the ordinary, except that they were home births, and that's just not not common anymore. But um, I was growing at a healthy rate, and there were no signs of any kind of danger or unusual unusual things within my pregnancy. So, uh, so then I went ahead and I got to have my home birth the way I wanted. And uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember how it went with Glenn, my first. Um, Your sister came in with her youngest. I forget how early she came in, but she flew in from Colorado, right? And then your mom <laughs> came in from Michigan or wherever they were living at the time. Because I remember... Right. That- being there for a prenatal visit before you had had Glenn? My sister was there a week before my due date and she stayed and my, my baby came like right on time. Both of them came, I think one day before their due date, but Anne was there and she had that prenatal with, with you and it was really fun. And uh, then when, since Anne was there and she used to be a doula, she tracked, she practiced as a doula for a number of years. So she's, and she's had her own four births. So she's no stranger to watching a birth and seeing how things are progressing and making predictions that make sense. And so she, she kind of felt out the right time to call my mom and tell my mom to make the six hour drive to Cincinnati and be with me. And uh, mom was there, I think, I think earlier the day that I went into labor. So I had my team with me and I kind of had everything ready. And it's almost like my body just slipped into it because I've had my permission. And uh, there was that mind-body connection. But as soon as I was ready, everything was set. And then the contractions just started coming. And uh, I felt like it was a really textbook labor, but I don't know. It just seemed right to me. So it's hard to compare it to someone else's experience. We all have such unique experiences. Um, One thing I remember is you wanted a water birth, but you did not want an inflatable pool because you wanted hard edges to be able to like lean against. You wanted that stability. So Karen's husband bought a horse trough, a brand new horse trough, and put it on their second floor in the nursery, had to brace the floor. You know, he's an engineer, so he knew exactly what he was doing. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. (laughs) Look at this. She's got a horse trough in her baby's nursery. (laughs) It was perfect. It was the right size and shape. Like, there weren't any hard hard corners. It was like an oval shape. And uh, it was really deep. And I just, for most of my labor, I was leaning forward against one of the walls and kind of like frog squatting. And uh, Marlene and you were doing everything you guys had to do behind me. And I was completely unaware of all of it. So I was really just in my own head and just paying attention to my body and didn't have any distractions. It's perfect. Anybody trying to figure out how to have a water birth, get yourself a horse trough. They're not expensive. That was really cool. Do you remember what time of day you went into labor with Glenn and when he was born? It was 
five years ago, and I'm kind of embarrassed how it's all so foggy, but I remember he was born at 12.34 in the afternoon, and that it was nighttime when when it all started. Do you remember what time it was? I do remember coming to your house in the middle of the night. I remember that much. And um, you labored really well. You were in the in the horse trough most of the time. And your mom was there. Your sister was there. I think the your sister's baby was asleep for the first part of it. Um, obviously, your husband was there. And it was really cute after a contraction because your husband was on the outside of the pool. You were looking at each other. And I remember you looking at him and going, kiss me, make out with me. It was the sweetest thing. I had read somewhere that being turned on made it better. And like it made your contractions less of a pain thing, but just a gentler pressure somehow. And I just wanted to try all of the things that I'd read about. And it was, I wouldn't say it was like, it definitely wasn't an orgasmic birth, but it was, it wasn't as painful as I had been prepared for. The water helped with that a lot. I remember as soon as I got into the water, I started relaxing. I was relaxed so much that you and Marlene thought my labor had stopped. So you got me out of the water and you were like, go back to sleep, see if you can get some rest. And then as soon as those contractions started again, they were, I mean, it's not that they had stopped. It's just that they were so much more painful out of the water that um, you guys could tell I hadn't stopped labored at that point. So I got back in the water and uh, they were just so much more easy in the water because I could push or I could, I don't know, maybe it was a tensile pressure of the water makes it better. Something about being in the water made it a lot more comfortable. And I was really relaxed. That was my main goal the whole time. I was like, I had in my head that every contraction you work against and, and tighten up against is a contraction you have to do again. But every contraction that you relax through is a contraction that brings you closer to your baby. That was like my mantra the whole time. And I was trying to make low tones, like cow noises, so that I would open things up on the inside instead of tightening them up. And I tried ragdolling all the time. And I had it like it was hard to ragdoll through a through a contraction, but it definitely felt like the right thing to do when I could control those muscles and try to just let them be instead of using the the muscles. I think that's why I labor because I was really vigilant about relaxing through those contractions and the water helped a lot. Yep. This goes back to our reoccurring theme of surrendering every birth story that we have on this podcast so far. The mom has talked about relaxing and surrendering and how that just made it a million times easier for them to manage the intensity of the contractions. And at a certain point, I remember um, you using clitoral stimulation to manage the intensity of the contractions. Did that help you? I was really handsy. Um, I remember at some point Marlene had said that she could see something And she kind of gave me permission to feel around and see what I could feel with my hands. 
And I was blown away when I put my hand down there and I could feel, it was like a kumquat that had hair coming out of the cracks. You know how a kumquat is like a pear that's eating itself, that's what it's shaped like? It was, it was the weirdest, most bizarre feeling. But I could feel the crown of my baby's head and it was wrinkled in on itself and there's hair coming out of it. And, and as soon as I touched his head, I was really encouraged. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's, he's right there. He's coming and I can feel him. And he's, 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 there's no longer a giant barrier of all of my skin and all of my body between him and me. And soon he'll be out in the open air. And, um, and yeah, it was just really handsy from then on because I was allowed to be, I suppose. Before that, I was worried that if I, if I put my hand inside that I was risking infection I don't know why I was so afraid of that, but as soon as I was given permission, I just, I just went for it, I guess. It was really encouraging. And it did help a little bit managing the pain and helping me relax a little bit. Um, just kind of massaging the area and trying to have some good feelings along with all of that stretching tightness. That is really important. Um, the point that you say of you were given permission and, you know, I always tell my clients, this is your birth, this is your story, and you're allowed to do whatever you want. And I think being in front of people, sometimes that can feel awkward. It can feel awkward for the mom to massage and stimulate herself in order to relax and feel some good sensations with the intensity of the contraction. And I always tell my moms, if you need to put your hand down there, if you need to do anything go ahead and do it. Like, it's okay. And it's normal. And I wanted to just mention that so that people listening would know that this is normal. It's not something to, you know, be taboo about or feel awkward about. It's a normal thing. It's a physiological process. So you use some, some um, different techniques that some people, like I said, don't talk about. And then Shortly after you felt that crowning, you had a baby in your arms. Right. He was, um, I, as soon as I saw him, I just wanted to pick him up, but, but you're not supposed to do that when there's a cord wrapped around your neck. <laughs> I remember Marlene stopped me with my, with her hand and she really carefully undid the cord around his neck and he was gray. It was, um, it was a strange moment because in my own perception, he was just so perfect and beautiful and there could not be a single thing wrong with him. But everybody else in the room was kind of scared because he was his, he'd been molding for such a long time that he had this crazy banana shaped alien skull and, and he was gray and it took him a little while to make some noise. I remember his ears were so flattened against the side of his head. They looked like, they looked like, leaves instead of ears and uh to me he just looked perfect but mark was really scared and you and marlene were you were really working to make sure everything was okay and you were checking in his vitals and you had some eagerness to all of your movements so um i remember this moment being like this shining perfect moment and i think everybody else in the room was a little bit scared and anxious but he was fine. Yeah. 
<laughs> Sometimes people do get a little bit nervous when the color of the baby isn't pink. It takes a minute for a baby to transition to life outside of the womb and to start circulation and start to pink up. And you have two minutes to get that process going before you technically need to start resuscitation, which Glenn did just fine transitioning. It was perfect. The next thing I wanted to talk about was you were very excited about doing the, is it called the birth crawl? Having the baby crawl from your belly to your breast? Because I remember you getting out of the water. You had talked about it prenatally. Like, I really want to do this. Don't put my baby on my chest. Like, I want my baby to crawl to my breast. And you were really eager to do it. So when you got out of the pool, there was a couch next to the pool and you laid him on your lower belly and let him kind of wiggle his way. You want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, I read a lot of benefits for the birth crawl, starting with just the the baby will massage your womb a little bit, which gets um, it's kind of the same as having a, a little bit. Of, it, it's not oxytocin that makes you have extra. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm blanking on the word that I'm trying to figure out. Contractions. The oxytocin yeah. does, yeah, create the, the muscle contraction of the uterus. And if that's not effective enough, then we will do uterine massage where we're using our hands right. outside of your belly to massage your uterus in order to help it be firm and help the placenta detach from the uterine wall and the blood vessels constrict so that you don't hemorrhage. So that's a normal physiological process. And with the baby's feet, with on top of your belly kind of crawling gives that natural massage. So yeah, go ahead, finish up with that. So I heard about the natural massage of the baby crawling on your belly and how that helps with contractions so that you don't bleed too much. And uh, I heard that it's just like better for the baby and it takes a lot of patience but that the baby will actually do it on its own I think that for me the magic of watching my baby do something on his own before I taught him a single thing was what was so shiny about that that I just had to have it I'm like I have to have the bird crawl if I don't have the bird crawl I can't ever do it again so I wanted it but I think he was a little too slow if I remember and eventually I just put my boob in his mouth and it worked that worked too (laughs) (laughs) You did an amazing job, especially for a first-time mom. You were so calm. You were so relaxed, like you said. And I was laughing inside when you said something about every contraction that you get tense during is one you have to do over, and every contraction you relax through is one that brings you closer to meeting your baby. And that's definitely a Marlene quote. And I have used that so many times telling people, um, telling people that. So, I mean, as a first time mom, I I think your labor was about 12 hours, which was maybe even less, honestly. I think it was eight or nine. It's hard to know when to start the clock because it's, it starts gradually. Yeah, but it was awesome. You did such an amazing job. I was so amazed by you. It was so powerful. So good. Thank you. You're welcome. You deserve to give yourself a pat on the back. Feel good about that. (laughs) So why don't you share a little bit about 
your postpartum period? With my first, especially, I was blown away by my emotional connection and like my need to be with my baby all the time. That um, he needed a he needed to have a visit with the pediatrician, and it would have been against your advice for me to go to a doctor's office because there's stairs involved, and I should be getting my bed rest and. I should just stay in bed while Mark takes the baby to the doctor. And I like pleaded with my husband to just cancel this appointment. I kept saying like, he's healthy. He doesn't need to see a doctor. Why would we take him away from where he's safe? And it was for me, it was like a moment of life or death, my child being ripped out of my arms and the, just like the emotional connection I needed him to be with me all the time I had to see him I had to smell him I had to he had to be within arm's reach or I was freaking out and I would never have known that that's the way I was going to behave once I became a mother it was a lot less insane when I had my second baby when I had my second baby probably because I had a first baby that was already distracting me from him I don't know the difference or the reason why it wasn't so strong with the second one, but I, whenever a mom, a new mom is acting insane, I just take it with a grain of salt because I have definitely acted like a lunatic <laughs> postpartum. <laughs> That's probably good for people to hear because the emotions and the hormones are all over the place. Also, I just wanted to say, I would never tell anybody to take their, have their baby taken away from them and go to the doctor. I don't know who said that to you. It must've been Marlene. That was not me. <laughs> it was probably our pediatrician. I, our pediatrician made a lot of assumptions about us based on the fact that we were having a home birth. He immediately assumed we didn't want any vaccines and made other, you know, false assumptions about us. <laughs> and, uh, I think he just thought we must be the most granola, most crunchy people on the face of the earth since we weren't having a hospital birth, and that was our choice. But um, I think he also wanted to see the baby to make sure that he wanted to see the baby soon after the birth to make sure that the baby was healthy, I guess, because he didn't trust that we would know if the baby was healthy or not. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Did you end up going in? I don't remember. No, I stayed home and just like cried and freaked out for a little while. But before I knew it, they were done. It was a really short visit. I can't imagine anything that happened in that office that couldn't have happened over the phone. But it wasn't up to me. It was not It was not something that I was actually involved in at all. It was just my baby being taken away to me, from me and then safely returned to me a few minutes later. <laughs> That's really sad. Like my heart is hurting. I, didn't, I don't like that. <laughs> I didn't like it, but it was okay in the end. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. Then there was his tongue tie. Oh, that's right. Oh, I I would say one thing that would have made that day less confusing it would be if I had known a single thing about a tongue tie before the birth. You do so much to prepare for the birth and you, I mean, I especially did I so much reading and I listened to 
podcasts and I watch um, documentaries about birth. And then uh, the very first decision that we had to make as parents was what to do about this tongue tie. And I've never even heard of a tongue tie. And we did not know how to make this decision at all. And every decision we've made leading up to that moment, we put a lot of thought and time and, and you know, discussion into. And here's one where Marlene is holding a pair of scissors and she's like, do you want to do it or do you want me to do it? I'm like, what are you doing? I don't know what we're doing. What is this about? And it, it was something that had to happen that day. And I think I was more to your clients now about tongue ties before the birth so with the tongue tie marlene was your primary midwife i was assisting marlene and so she was the one guiding you on this and she and i have a little bit different philosophy on tongue ties to your point i think it is something that should be discussed prenatally because a lot of people don't know about tongue ties Christina's daughter actually had a tongue tie as well. They had um, it released. I think she was eight or six days, six days. Okay. Six days old. So I would never clip a baby's tongue period. Um, It's a surgical procedure and you need somebody trained to do it. Now with saying that, There are exceptions, you know, the Amish community where they're not going to go in to a hospital, you know, midwives way back when used to have a long pinky nail so they could break bags of water and, and cut the frenulum and release the tongue. And so it's something that has been done efficiently at home for thousands of years, probably, but now that we have dentists that have these amazing lasers to laser the tongue, I, I wouldn't do it any other way than to have a dentist laser the tongue. And I always give my babies 24 hours, like let them come into themselves, let that nursing relationship start and then evaluate the tongue after 24 hours post birth. So I do remember myself being a little bit uneasy watching her hand over a pair of scissors to Mark and Mark clipping Glenn's tongue. I was like, oh, is this really happening right now? (laughs) That's exactly how I was feeling in that moment. I was like, he's perfect. Why are we cutting parts of him off? I had no idea what we were correcting or why we were correcting it. I was just, there's my squirming baby and there's a pair of scissors right next to his face. And that, oh my gosh, those scissors are in his mouth. What is even happening? Uh, yeah, it was a scary moment, but it was, it was also over pretty quickly. So it left us a little bit bewildered and confused at what had just happened. Uh, our second child had far more uh his he had two tongue ties that were really strong and um we had an appointment to get them corrected and by then um my breast hurt so much from nursing while he was when his tongue was tied he couldn't nurse correctly he was doing more sucking instead of pumping with his tongue and um it was just like daggers on my nipple every time he nursed. The appointment got delayed another week because we had gone to the wrong building to get it done. We 
we had gone to the associates building instead of the correct place to get it done. And so it was another week. And I would just say that if I had known ahead of time and I could have somehow gotten an appointment immediately, that would have, that would have made things a little bit better, but that's, that's one of those things where it's like, if a midwife could get a laser, I would have had the midwife do it right then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the things, the hats that we wear, all the things that we do. (laughs) But yes, you had both experiences. You had your husband clipping your first son's tongue and then a dentist lasering your second son's tongue. What do you think the, the difference was? Like the results, do you feel like the results were any different? With my second child, I know that the corrections were made completely. And with Glenn, I have no clue because I didn't get a good look at what it was before the correction or what it was after the correction. And my husband did it. He didn't know what he was doing. So there's a chance that my first son is still tongue-tied, but it's not seeming to have any effect on his speech. I guess we could have it looked at by his dentist, but I think people don't really diagnose tongue ties unless you go to the right dentist to get that to get those answers. Yeah, that's correct. And knowing your sister and going out to Colorado for that conference, I got to hear a dentist speak about tongue ties, which was really cool, and then led me down that whole path of getting a certificate in oral facial myology and really being well-versed in it. And it's true that not every practitioner knows what they're looking at. And it's hard, especially a newborn, it's hard to get in there and see inside of that tiny little mouth. But it is important. It is something that people should think about prenatally. I agree with you 100%. So your second baby, you were how many years postpartum? What was the separation? They're about two and a half years apart. Okay. And for this birth, I was your primary midwife and did all your prenatal care and Marlene was supposed to attend the birth but didn't make it she was at at a different birth that that was happening oh I remember she was at a birth that was false started and then the woman didn't actually give birth for like another two days or something wow I don't remember that I just remember I did all your prenatal care. I had an apprentice at that time. Remember Eliana, the sweet Jewish girl that was apprenticing with me? So I wasn't concerned either way because I thought, well, I've done all your prenatal care. I'm your primary midwife now. I mean, I didn't want Marlene to miss it just because she'd been at your first. And as a midwife, like, you don't want to miss another, you know, your client's second birth. You want to be part of it. But yeah, so... Um, oh, and I was nannying at the time too. I remember this. So I had my twins and you had said throughout the day, oh, I'm having contractions or kind of like 10 to 15 minutes apart, you know, coming pretty regularly. And I'm thinking, hmm, what's going on? And so I actually brought the twins over. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Now that you bring it up. I remember them at the door and Glenn thinking that they were there to play with him and them being like, 
kind of weirded out in general. (laughs) Yeah. That's my baby. So yeah, I came over, checked on you. Um, You were definitely in early labor. And then, I mean, I was there maybe 30, 45 minutes left. And then you continued that pattern throughout the day, just kind of slow, prodromal, 10 to 15 minutes apart. And then it was, I don't know, nine or something at night. When was it? But I think you, I think you delivered like 2 a.m. I don't remember. It was a, it was really late. Yeah. Basically all day I had been having strong contractions, but they, they, while they were getting stronger and stronger, they weren't becoming more frequent until 930 or so. And the, the way we talked about it when we called you, we didn't make it sound urgent at all. And you were like, I'll just go back to bed for a half hour and then I'll come over. <laughs> and then we totally, it was like, I thought, oh, she's still like piddling around. You were so nonchalant about it. And <laughs> lo and behold, thanks a lot, Karen. <laughs> you can yeah. tell the rest of the story. Oh, man. Okay, so... They were getting really strong, and I was just laboring in my bedroom. I kept delaying things. Like, my husband was like, do you want me to get the bath started? And I was like, just wait till Julia gets here. When Julia gets here, that's when we can do this stuff. And I really wanted him by my side instead of going and doing things and preparing things. But by the time you got there, I was transitioning. I remember you coming up the stairs and in that moment I was resisting the urge to push and I was like oh shoot I, I'm pushing I feel like I should push what should I do and you're like push if you want to push and so I did and I remember you you wanted to get it you wanted to hear his heartbeat before before we continued I don't you were trying to get a heartbeat as soon as you got there and when you listened I was skeptical that you were hearing his heartbeat. I thought you were hearing my heartbeat and I was a little bit scared. And suddenly I like urgently panickingly wanted to have my baby out of me immediately because I was, I had some friends within the last year, two of my friends both had stillbirth babies. And while that's supposed to be really uncommon, it, it was crazy to me that they had both completely gone through all of their prenatal care. They were full-term pregnancies and suddenly their baby's hearts, just both of them just stopped beating. So in that moment, I was like, oh no, I'm another statistic. And I was so sure that you were hearing my heartbeat instead of Bruce's. But you weren't scared. You were like, no, you were trying to convince me. Like, that's definitely his heartbeat. It's coming from your pelvis, not your heart. (laughs) So, so, um, I had to just trust you and hope for the best, I suppose. But his birth was so fast. It was like, it was like a sprint when Glenn's was, Glenn's wasn't a marathon. It was only eight or so hours, but it was, Glenn's birth was really relaxed and like, it wasn't easy going. I mean, birth isn't easy going, but the pace was really moderate compared to Bruce's, which was just like, oh my gosh, I'm already in transition and my midwife's not even here yet. And then suddenly he was born and it was, it felt like a violent thing when he was born in comparison to Glenn's like easing in and out. I mean, Glenn was crowning for so long and I was prepared for that same kind of timing with my second baby because I wouldn't think that 
I wouldn't think it would go faster than already pretty efficient labor. <laughs> so comparing my second labor to my first, I was just expecting the same thing to happen again. And it was so much faster. And I, I remember uh, because as the baby moves down the birth canal, he rotates in order to get his head to squish through all those nooks and crannies and curves of your pelvis. And I could feel him turning. And it was, it was like somebody had just turned a blender on inside my vagina. It was not comfortable. <laughs> but then, uh, then he, he was totally fine. I mean, he knew what he was doing. He, he was really eager to get out, I guess. Wow, that's incredible the way you just described that. I, I don't ever want to feel a blender inside of my vagina. That sounds no good. <laughs> it wasn't as fast as a blender. Let's, oh, maybe I should rephrase it. It wasn't a blender, but it was really bizarre feeling. <laughs> but normal. That is a normal sensation because baby does turn for sure. And I just want to mention you were in the same horse trough. Mm-hmm. It was the same horse trough. It's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We had the, <laughs> we had the supports and we had the plastic sheeting and then the trough and then blankets and then more plastic sheeting. It was really comfortable and it was good. So we just stuck with it. Yeah. And I'll never forget walking up those steps to the nursery. You were in the pool and the noises you were making. I was like, oh my God, she's going to have a baby like now. We don't have any time to mess around. Like I literally dropped my bags and Eliana was just like her eyes as wide as they could get. Like, whoa, what is happening? Because I think she'd only been to like maybe one or two home births and they weren't with me. There was somebody else. I, I think I was the first birth. I think I was the first birth that she saw. Maybe I'm maybe I'm misremembering, but No wait, she, you're right. But, you're right. You're right. You, you were her first home birth. I think she had seen one or something in the hospital, but you're right. She, you were the first home birth she had seen. Yeah. And I remember her just afterwards. Oh my God, that was so cool. It was so amazing. You know, it happened so fast. And yeah, it did happen so fast because you were so nonchalant when you called. I'm like, there's no way that she's this far along. Like, Nope. When I got there, those noises I knew. This is happening now, right now. And Bruce also had his cord around his neck. I have a really cool picture of when he was still submerged in the water, like just the back of his head was starting to come above the water. And you were kind of, I don't know if your hands were on him, but I was looping the cord off of his neck as he was coming out of the water and somebody took this picture. I don't know. I don't know how, who it was, but it's an amazing picture. And I know you must have it. I think so. Cause you shared a lot of pictures with me. I love looking at my birth pictures. One thing I feel so lucky that I look at back, I look back at my births and there's stories that make me feel proud and um, they're, they're making they make me happy to remember. I have so many friends who just, it's a traumatic experience for them when their children come into the world. And uh, my heart breaks for them. A lot of times I think like, you don't know how great it could be if you, if you just trust your body to, to do its own thing instead of intervening. Yeah, I know. It's all about trust and making healthy choices. 
Totally. I've got to have those pictures somewhere because I printed them out and I put them in his baby book and in a little envelope that's got a warning label so that he knows <laughs> he knows not to just thumb through it casually when he's when he's not prepared to see his mother naked and, and making cow noises. <laughs> you did have some good pictures. That's a really good idea. Put them in an envelope for them to choose like when and if they want to look at them. I like that. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so how was your postpartum for this baby? Because you had your sister with you supporting you with your first. And then your mom and dad were there for Bruce, right? Or no? Did they come later? They were there at some point. Maybe my mom is the one who took those pictures. I think so. I think that my mom was there for the birth. And she took those pictures because I can't, I, I can't piece it together. You, when you're, when you're, I remember a lot of things about both of my births really specifically and really starkly and pretty much if it was out of my field of vision, I had no idea what was going on because it wasn't my job. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I remember coming over for, like a three-day visit and you had a friend over and your mom was there and we sat downstairs on the couch and Mark made drinks and we were hanging out and yeah. You're right. And my mom was definitely there because she made a birthday cake for Bruce. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And we woke up Glenn because it was like 2 a.m. We woke up Glenn and like brought him into the room so he could meet his little brother and everybody had some birthday cake and he miraculously went back to sleep after that. <laughs> That's shocking. <laughs> oh, awesome. what a happy day that was. What a great day. Yeah, it was a great day for sure. Both your stories are so amazing. So good. What else do you remember from the birth or anything else that you want to share? I love giving moms the advice to relax to their contractions and make low noises and try to ragdoll. That's my favorite bit of advice to pass on. Um, I think that one thing about the clitoral stimulation, that's kind of less common than other things that happen at my birth. I don't know. I, um, to wrap it up. Do you remember anything special that I forgot about? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I feel like we touched on pretty much all of it. I do remember, like, when Glenn met Bruce, that moment was priceless. Because he was hugging you, and you had Bruce. I think you might have been nursing him. And he was just so gentle and sweet. It was really cute. He was really – he's a great big brother. And I guess it started back then. He's just, um, I mean, we gave him a little bit of coaching on how not to handle a child, <laughs> but you can't really prepare a two and a half year old for uh, babysitting. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was really nice that he was gentle with him and he's just been a really good big brother ever since. I think including him in the prenatal visits too, including the big brother talking about the fact that there's a baby coming it was probably 
a good way to prepare him and including him in the whole thing. So it wasn't just suddenly there's a stranger living in his house upstairs. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, man, what what amazing stories. I'm so grateful that you shared them with us. You're welcome. I'm really glad I got a chance to to do all of the things that we've done together. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I know I miss you. You're all the way down in Cincinnati. When I come in, you, I need to stop by and see you. Whenever you want. We can, we can roll out the red carpet. <laughs> all right, I'll take it. <laughs> Christina, what are your thoughts? I loved hearing your stories. They're Thank beautiful. You. I really resonated with um, when you were talking about touching yourself. So I, I didn't do clitoral stimulation, but Julia did encourage me to touch myself down there during labor. And I had the same experience as you when, when you felt it, like how you described feeling it. That's what I felt like. I, I can't put into words what it felt like because it felt so wild to feel that head in, in between my labia like that, like like the craziest feeling. But had she not encouraged me to reach down and touch myself, I don't think I even had the mind space to consider it because I was just so deep into the land of labor. Then when she said, Christina, you can touch yourself, you know, it was a great reminder of like my purpose, what was going on with my body. So yeah, I loved hearing your description of that. That moment gave me a lot of clarity of purpose. As soon as yeah. I felt it, was like, oh, it's right there. I know exactly. Yeah. Totally. Was, I, I just want every mom to have that. And when they yeah. all have these medicated births and they, they're knocked out for their entire labor, it makes me kind of grieve for them that they don't yeah. have those. They're so far removed. This. Yeah, they're so far removed from what's happening, you know, or they, it can be like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm so glad you both had such good experiences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the best. Well, thanks again for sharing your stories. And we, we've been recording this podcast over Zoom. I'm sure, obviously, people listening can't tell that. It's been really nice to see your face, too. I just miss you. Me, too. Me, too. We used to have the most personal conversations on a regular basis. I almost want to get pregnant again just for that. <laughs> Then you have to move to Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> well, your new clients in Cleveland, those Cleveland ladies are really lucky to have you. Aw, thank you. That's so sweet. All right, yeah. ladies. Well, it was awesome. So glad we got to have this time together and chat and hear the stories. Thank you again, Karen, for being here and sharing your personal stories with the audience. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Julie and Christina. All right, well, we'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. That's all for this week, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify and let us know what you think. We really appreciate your support. Tune in next week for another episode of the Home Birth Experience. Until then, stay healthy, y'all. Bye.